so right now you've opened to Romans 12. We're going to get to it in about six minutes. Let me set this up. This is week three in a 10-week series we're doing called Future Church. Uh, we're doing this series collaborating with Light Church up in Encinitas and Neighbors Church in Uptown here. And our goal each week is to take an in-depth look at one of the challenges that we face today as followers of Jesus and then respond to that challenge by committing to a concrete practice. What is something Jesus gave us to do that will help us fight the gravity of secular culture that is only increasing in our current moment? Uh, and, and when we do these things that Jesus gave us, like prayer, scripture, silence, solitude, uh, they actually have power. Partnering with the Spirit, these practices have power to orient us away from anxiety toward a mindset of kingdom possibility. This is how the church has thrived through uh, incredibly difficult circumstances um, when even compared to COVID. Like, look back at the last 2,000 years and watch how the church has exploded under pressure. Um, so the title of today's teaching is this, a community of tight-knit loving relationships in a culture of individualism. So <laughs> that's like a sermon in itself, but it's a title. So it's a long title. Uh, so you have Romans 12 open. Again, five minutes till we read it. To set it up, think about where we're at. Our culture Social scientists like uh, David Livermore, who wrote this book, fantastic, you should read it. It's called Cultural Intelligence, super helpful for me. David Livermore and others, they help us think about different types of cultures and where we sit on the spectrum. And one way to think about where we're at is in the cultural spectrum of like individualism to collectivism. So where are we at on that spectrum as Americans? Anybody know? Where do you think we're at? We're, we're, way, we're way to the left on that. Like, we're, we are individualists, right? My rights, my, my expression, my speech, my responsibility is important to me. And that, that's right. That's, that's the American spirit, for sure. In individualist cultures, personal rights are right up there on the highest tier of our value chart, right? Freedom, a.k.a. autonomy. Freedom from authority. Don't mandate me, right? That is seen as a virtue, in our culture. This is like, I'm responsible for me and my immediate family and my stuff, and I'm way less responsible for this, your family and your group stuff, because after all, you guys are individuals and you should be taking care of your own stuff anyways, otherwise you're lazy, right? That's, that's the kind of built in to the American DNA. Western countries, generally speaking, lean individualist. And America doesn't just lean there, we're like all the way to 10 <laughs> over, over there. So a uh, French historian, if you know a little bit of American history, he came to America in 1831, de Tocqueville. Uh, de Tocqueville, and he, what did he say about America? He called it an experiment in extreme individualism that would end in the abolition of humanity. I'm glad you enjoyed your stay, de Tocqueville. <laughs> Have fun sailing back to France. So, but let's face it, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong, right? Extreme individualism is inseparable from the American spirit. And at the end, of, but at the other end of the spectrum, can you put that last slide up just so we see it? The other end is uh, this, this idea of collectivism. It's more, you know, Africa, Asia, Eastern countries, uh, where it's less me culture and it's more of a we culture, right? The group takes precedent over the individual in those cultures. 
So social ties and belonging to a big group is more important than like speaking your truth or whatever, like your own personal deal. And the individual in the, in the we side of the spectrum, the individual is responsible to always make the best decision for the larger group, not just for the self. Uh, and the larger group, by the way, isn't just your immediate nuclear family. It includes often neighbors and classmates and extended relatives just as much as your bio family in those cultures. So why am I saying all this? Why this little thing on individualism, collectivism? Because my point is not that you know, one side is inherently better than the other. That's not the point I'm making today. What I am saying is this. In our culture of hyper-individualism, Jesus is calling us to become his counter-community of tight-knit, loving relationships. This is the call. This is the call, especially coming out of a wild and zany season where everybody's talking about rights and everybody's been detached to, lay, to sacrifice and reattach to Jesus and his family. That is the call. So, so we're first and foremost Jesus followers, right? Ch child of God is your main identity if you confess that Jesus is Lord. And, and so that means your plumb line for how to live, think, behave is this man Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself is supposed to be the primary influence on what you value at your core. And so when you read Jesus and the New Testament, they introduce us to this way of life that is actually way more toward the we culture side of the spectrum than the me culture, at least in the way we're used to. So another chart to put up there maybe. So you have um, Jesus' call is to move from hyper me culture as much as we can by the power of the spirit to tighten it loving relationships into a we community. This is the call consistently throughout the New Testament. It's Jesus' vision for his future church. And this vision comes through in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount and the book of Acts and all the letters of the New Testament. Jesus' vision is of a redeemed and radiant new humanity that's becoming a people of love, growing, and will one day rule over all the earth alongside Jesus. <laughs> and it's not just Jesus' vision for the future, but it's his command now to live that future now together in spirit-driven community, okay? And so one of the best places we see this vision on a boots on the ground level is Romans 12. We're about to walk through it. And then at the end of this talk teaching, uh, I'm gonna call all the community leaders up. We're gonna call all the rest of the church to look at these community leaders and bless them and pray for them. So if you're here and you're a community leader, get ready, because we're gonna call you up if you're comfortable at the end of this teaching and just bless you in Jesus' name so that you have the power to lead the rest of this church in answering Jesus' call to be in community. So if, if this is the church, if this is the church Jesus has called you to, then the elders and leaders of this church are calling you in the name of Jesus today to commit to a Park Hill community for the long haul. That is the practice that we believe Jesus is calling us into, one of the several we're gonna be talking about during this series. So, and then after we do the commissioning and pray for leaders, we're gonna do communion and baptism. So maybe, maybe you just need that, <laughs> the initial step of, oh my gosh, I've been overthinking and overcomplicating following Jesus. I actually just need to be baptized today. <laughs> if that's you, come on. This is the day uh, that we can make that happen. Okay, so Romans 12, 
Hold this question in your mind. Sorry, I keep, I keep balking at it. But here's, here's the question. As we read this chapter, do I exist to see something flourish that's bigger than me? Even if it means disadvantaging myself and embracing vulnerable relationship for the sake of the body. We can say yes. Yes, I believe that. But let that question unearth where your life isn't aligned with that, where you're inconsistent with that in your hearts. Where have you been unwilling for that to be real? Where, hopefully this doesn't offend, unless it's supposed to offend, but where have you chosen safety, quote unquote, over vulnerability? Or more pointedly, if you've been wounded by a vulnerable relationship, are you willing to follow Jesus back into vulnerable relationship because it's the only place to find healing from relational wounds by the Spirit's power? It's not easy, it's messy, it's non-negotiable though, and it's worth it. So, not gonna convince you. With my own words, I'm gonna let Paul, Paul's words do it. So, uh, Romans 12, can you put slide nine up on the screen? Let's read Romans 12, the whole deal. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he starts the chapter there. And for context, how many of you ever read Romans? The book of Romans, great. Very rich, full of theology. The first eight chapters is all about what God has done to save. And then chapters nine, 10, and 11 is God bringing two unlikely groups together in community, in family. Jews and Gentiles, enemies, now siblings in the household of God. And so he's like, so I beg you live like it. I beg you. And, and I want you to notice that he's using a metaphor of siblings on purpose. This is Paul's favorite metaphor for the church or family. Brothers and sisters, not based on blood, obviously, because we've got racially ethnic Jews and non racially ethnic Jews, and he's like, you guys are Adelphoi, siblings, brothers and sisters. Uh, this is a new reality he's bringing down the pipe, and it's blowing minds back then. Not based on blood, but based on what Jesus, in Jesus' words, whoever does the will of the Father is now family. Do you realize what this means, you guys? Without demoting biological family, Jesus is redrawing the lines of family around himself. And he's extending out. He's not canceling the importance of the nuclear family of mommies and daddies and kids supporting one another in a home. But he's extending the priority sphere out so that now you have this whole family that confesses Christ as Lord. Uh, and so uh, continue reading. We're going to get through this whole chapter in a few minutes, actually. And then I'll wrap up with six thoughts. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, he's talking like a father to kids, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according, according to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So first thing to point out here, again, Paul's next metaphor, he moves from family to body. So in a body, every single part feels each other, right? If you get hurt at one point in your body, the rest of the body comes around. It's part of the nervous system. And every part needs every other part to stay alive. This is the church. This is a metaphor for you. This is this room. At least we're supposed to be. In other words, in your spiritual family, in your community, your unique gifts are needed. Do you know this? Do you think of this when you come in here and the potential for community leaving here? Signing up at the Connect Desk for a community? Do you go, I'm going to sign up where I'm needed? We often think, man, I need community. But community needs you. Community needs your unique wiring to encourage and to see something in someone's nonverbal cues and to hear from the Spirit, say, hey, I sense maybe this is the Lord, but you may have had a, if you've had a bad week, maybe not, I'm not <laughs> saying you look like you're tired or anything, but I, I, think, I think this encouragement is for you. I was reading the Bible my, in the morning yesterday, and I think it's actually for you. That is a gift you were wired in that moment to bring. So apply it to anything that you bring. Teaching, a word of, from the scripture that's an insight in the group discussion. A song, <laughs> prophetic moment when 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 Jim in your group brings up a prayer request about financial needs and when he just mentions offhandedly yeah it's been it's been tough I've been a little thin spread thin financially maybe he needs you to suddenly spark a creative movement with a couple of the community members and then go to the elders and say hey elders uh, there's this guy he's been struggling and he's in our community and uh, we brought together our finances and we can give a couple hundred bucks can the elders match it from the benevolence and we double it and give it to him for this specific thing that's literally what we're supposed to be doing in this church uh, so so whatever it is uh, God is, is, is reminding you now that, that you are essential. You are. And we so often, because we're consumers and we're individuals and we have our little estate outside of the church that's our private estate, we don't come in thinking, I wonder how my estate might benefit the whole. But this was what Paul assumes. And so uh, we're now going to work through the rest of the chapter line by line, like boom, 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 right down the list. And, and watch how Paul describes the shape. Every family has a culture. If you've ever been to Thanksgiving, you know what I'm talking about. There's a vibe, right? And every family has a vibe. And, and this is the vibe of God's family. This is what we're supposed to look like. Verse 9. Love must be sincere. No fake love. No, I love you, buddy. And then don't back it up with an actual sacrifice. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil in God's house. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. That always happens when God's culture is moving. 
Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Complete critique of hyper-individualism right there. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in passion, in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This is the vibe around Jesus' table. And then share with the Lord's people who are in need. So again, remember Jim. He alluded to a need and you're zealous to figure out creative ways to meet Sarah or Jim or Angie or whoever is there. And there's an obvious need. Maybe it's an emotional need or a financial need. And then finally, practice hospitality. That's what God's family does. Next slide, bless those who persecute you. Paul's not done. You bless and do not curse those who curse you. That's getting, that's getting annoying, Paul. That's annoying. That hurts. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. This morning we had an opportunity to do just that during pre-gathering prayer. Every Sunday from 7.45 to 8.15, the community that serves to set up praise. And everyone else in the church is more than welcome and strongly encouraged to come to pre-gathering prayer because we come around each other and often listen to the Spirit. And the Spirit speaks certain things for the Sunday gatherings that feed often into the worship. And one of the things that happened this morning is there was a man who was broken over loss and grief in his immediate group, in his extended family. There was a death and there were tears and everybody just spent the majority of the time obeying Paul and doing God's culture. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And the spirit was filling our sails into healthy mourning together. Live in harmony with one another, literally be of the same mind. And do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. That doesn't help us. <laughs> in American culture, to willingly and freely associate with people that don't benefit you. But that's what God's house does. Don't be conceited, by the way. And then the final slide. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Think about that. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone around you not just in your own eyes. My goodness, just spread that line like butter over the bread of 2020. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And, and then if it's possible, sometimes it's not, but if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you gotta, you gotta balance those two lines out. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Under the old covenant, in the Old Testament, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. If we believe this, then responsibility is not ours to repay, ever, ever, whether with, whether with a word or a physical act. For it's written, it's mine, to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, as opposed to revenge, as opposed to retaliation, feed your enemy. 
as opposed to gossiping behind the back of the one who betrayed you, feed the one who betrayed you, just like Jesus did the night before he died. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. There's debate over what that actually means, but many say it's a blessing. Everybody wants burning coals because if you can bring them home to your oven, you'll be able to cook food for your family. So when you bring gifts in exchange for curses, you bless and feed and supply for the entire group of your enemy. This is what God's household does. How are we doing with this? And then to sum it all up, don't be ever overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So you don't correct your families, your family members, in your mind, inaccurate thinking about current events by your own opinions. <laughs> you, you don't fight their bad misinformation about science or whatever with your correct information. You don't do, you, you do not over, do not be over, that's being overcome by evil. <laughs> do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. More feeding, more thirst quenching, more coals for their oven. This is God's family, that's the end of the chapter. How do you feel, how, how are you doing? So, so, yeah, we can applaud Jesus and Paul and, and the whole 2,000 years of the church for showing us. So, so Romans 12, this is a compelling vision for community and it's actually impossible unless our identities are firmly rooted in Jesus. Beginning with baptism, you identify with Christ, stepping into the water, say, this is, this is the culture I will live in and seek to embody. And then say, Holy Spirit, I need you for this. And then he comes in and partners so that you can do all of those, over two dozen commands we just read. Holy Spirit empowers you as you emerge from the waters of baptism, strong in your identity. So remember, we're preaching this series, just take a step back, we're doing this future church series with three churches. Light Church and Neighbors and Park Hill, we're all going through this stuff. And, which means all three churches are calling each other, our people, to commit to this. To commit to this level of, of interaction together in one place. In one Park Hill community for as long as God calls you to. <laughs> um, and not, not to hop around, not like half in, half out, right? But to really consider if Jesus has called you to be here, if he's called you to be part of Park Hill, then it's a call to be in Park Hill and to do this stuff as best we can by the power of the Spirit. And if, if your answer is yes, I'm called to this church, then the call is to embrace this practice of community for the long haul with your whole heart. And, and uh, I realize as I say this, commitment and long haul and not half in, half out, and I actually call you to commit, uh, I realize I'm, I'm, grading, I'm grading up against deep levels of American me culture tendencies, right? It's like, don't tell me what to do. Like, or how I'm supposed to relate to people or Jesus. I'm busy. You don't know how busy I am. Um, I'll, I'll do it my way. Frank Sinatra, baby. Like, I'll do it my way. Um, again, I 100% feel that. Family is hard and it's messy, and it's tense. And on top of that, we're a me culture, which makes it even harder, but we're called to this. So for the back half of this teaching, the back end, um, I wanna offer six thoughts 
just to give shape to what this will look like here in, the, in this church community and, and how we're gonna practice it. Six, six thoughts, number one, and we did this a couple years ago, but the church has seen so much rotation and so much transition that this is very much worth going over again. Number one, community is non-optional. Did you know this? It's non-optional to be a disciple, a Christian in other words. You can't follow Jesus alone. You can't follow him alone. It's actually impossible. In the words of the Desert Fathers, one Christian is no Christian. And we think of the Desert Fathers like they're literally alone in a cave somewhere, but that's the opposite picture. They depended on each other to survive in those wildernesses. So you, you, can't, you can't separate your Christianity, your discipleship to Jesus from committed involvement in your church community. Even that idea. <laughs> That I can be a Christian and I don't have to be in a church accountable structure. That idea is brand new. New Western post-1800s thinking, foreign to the Bible and the vast majority of church history. And in other words, it's easy to say community and to love the idea. It's way harder to love Bob across the table when he makes that offensive comment. Uh, or to love Janice when she never helps to clean up after community dinner. And, and, or, when, or when that person keeps forgetting to like text ahead of not showing up or just always texts and never shows up or whatever. It's easy to not like the reality of community in those moments. Um, of course, at the same time, if your community is healthy, you call Bob out in love for his offensive comment, right? There's space for that. There's an assumption that will happen. And... Uh, because we sacrifice our personal rights for the flourishing of the whole group in the body. That's why I love Romans 12. Paul just assumes that it will be awkward and tense and there'll be weird personality conflicts and hard misses in communication and, and people who just wanna be alone and don't wanna show up and Paul speaks to that. He's like, I know it'll be that way and he's like, hey, the practice of community is just not, an, it's not optional for your discipleship. Or in Paul's words, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, command. And secondly, community is not an option for just a healthy life as a human, right? I mean, it's just a very obvious observation sometimes, but it's profound. You were created a relational creature, no matter what your religion or culture. On page one of the Bible, we discover humans are made in the image of God, right? And if there's anything that means, it's that we are des designed and actually we were defined in relation to someone else because God is a three triune relationship and he made us out of that relationality to be relational. And, and, and we carry out our day-to-day -day lives in relation to other people. This is why the first, what was the first human problem? It wasn't sin. Do you know what the first human problem was? Anybody, go for it. He's alone, the man's alone. He's, he's alone, he's isolated. It wasn't necessarily sinful, but God's like, it's not good. And so God saw humanity and said, this is not good for the human to be alone. And, and listen, I wanna say this, the point of that statement, the high point of that statement is not that he needed to be married. Right. It's not that he needed to be a husband. The point of that aloneness is that he needed to be in relationship. He needed community. Um, what I'm about to say may surprise you, some of you, but contrary to a lot of what the church has taught, marriage is not the ultimate goal of the well-lived human life, you guys. 
You can be fully flourishing human and single, unmarried, forever. How, can I, how, how, how do we know that? Well, because we follow a single guy who, 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 and don't tell me for a second, he was missing something. You know what I mean? Jesus was a fully flourishing human, and we, and we also get our doctrine for another unmarried person named Paul. So, so That's significant. You were born a relational soul, whether single, married, extroverted, introverted, whatever. And, and listen, if you know if one close relationship in your life is off, you're a wreck. And your relationship with God becomes a wreck because it's all enmeshed. That's why loving God and others is, they're hand in hand, you can't separate the two. Because God designed human life as this big, beautiful, emotional, relational hairball. <laughs> That's what we are. In Paul's words, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Just do it and stick with it, stay. That's healthy humanity in community. So it's not optional to be healthy. And number three, community is where we experience the change you really want, right? You can also, bad company corrupts good habit, you know what I mean? You can, you can have bad change happen to you through relationships. But community is also the only place where you can actually find the change you long for. And I think we realize this at the surface. You know, we, we, we gravitate towards similar affinities, fashion, music, even obviously language. We start to reflect the company we keep, but at a deeper level, community, community, defined specifically as intentional relationships around the way of Jesus. That kind of community, it exposes and encourages simultaneously. Those two things, they, they have to go together. Not just exposes you and leaves you shamed, it doesn't just encourage you and leave you unchanged. It exposes and encourages. So how does this work? Uh, in 2018, our church went through Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality stuff. How many of you guys remember that? Formative stuff, you guys. I think that's partly what God used to help us survive relationally through last year. Um, but Scazzaro, he talks about our shadow side. We all have a shadow side. It's the, un, the unaware part of you, the sinful tendencies, the dark part of you that you're the last one to notice. Right, here's how he describes your shadow side. It's the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts, that while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behaviors. It's the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. And we all have that. It's a shadow side. The problem is we can't see it. Everyone else does first. And so you need a group of people who will see it ahead of you, who actually love you, and who have proven their love to you through a context of trust. Spiritual community. And these are the parts that aren't super fun, right? But they're essential to becoming like Jesus. It's when you sit down with that other person. You sit them down, you know, Bob, with the offensive comment. Sorry if your name's Bob, but... Um, you're like, Bob, hey man, I just want you to know the way I experienced you about 30 minutes ago, you get him aside, I experienced you and I felt, I felt fear or I felt anger and that was in me. But it was an experience I had of you because of this comment you said and, uh, and I love you and I'm committed to you and uh, so I had to tell you, I had to talk to you. It was this specific moment. And, and then you let Bob respond, and hopefully there's repentance and forgiveness, and boom, there's an exposing that encouraged, because you can then meet it with love and prayer and encouragement. That's the kind of godly confrontation that trans 
we become like Jesus. We become like Jesus through that. That's the that's heartbeat of our church. But it's hard, it's powerful, but it's hard. It's way easier to just back away from people. It gets hard, it's super awkward, I don't like conflict, who does, uh, unless you got issues. So, uh, but it's way easier to just back away from Bob when it gets tough and be like, okay, I'm just gonna make a new friend. Click unfriend Bob. Way easier. Um, it's way harder to stay devoted for transformation. But that's the way of Jesus. He calls us to be exposed, but it's always for encouragement. Did you know, scientifically, neurologically, the only way to get healing from a relational wound is through relationship. I know that sounds almost masochistic, like I can't do that. Uh, but our deepest wounds come from relationships and our greatest healing will come from relationships. The idea, according to one therapist uh, that I read, is do the same thing for the same reason but with a different set of people filled with the Spirit. Then you find healing. Um, the saddest thing is, is when wounded people, in reaction to the relational wound, the excruciating maybe father wound or mother wound or marriage wound, because of that they wall off from serious relationships because they naturally don't want to get hurt and basically stay broken forever. Saddest thing ever. The only way to get healing is to step back in to a similar context with a totally different group in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And then number four, community is not the same thing as a group of friends. So I just have to say this. For me, maybe, this, maybe I'm preaching to myself on this. Sandy recently, my wife told me, like, you, you, have, you have a lot, you, you think you have a lot more friends than you do. <laughs> In a good way, because I was calling, I'm like talking about, this guy's my friend, this guy, oh, my friend said this, my friend, he's my friend. She's like, what is a friend? What does that mean to you? And we talked about it, and I discovered through it, I'm like, I don't, I don't, actually, they're not my friend. I, I had a 45-minute coffee in a group with that person, and I'm just a fanboy, I guess. But, um, so I need, I need to say this, because I'm getting to know more of you, and a lot of you are new, and we're regathering, and many of you are delight, you're all delightful, and I, I love meeting you. Uh, and there's always good conversation and good hang time during the four minutes, and it's a gift, and all of that. But the temptation for people like me, um, Enneagram Seven, if you're into that, I'm kind of half and half into Enneagram, not really, but sort of. I'm a seven. Uh, I'm yay. I love everybody, and you're my friend. You get my friendship, and you get my friendship. The temptation for me is uh, my community's awesome. I have an awesome community of people that are our friends. Maybe, but maybe not, right? For the last 45 years, and my wife told me that by, very lovingly, by the way. It was the best conversation in the, of the last like month. It was really helpful. So uh, for the last 45 years, sociology has been talking about strong ties and weak ties. Strong ties are like a mother-daughter bond or a long-time best friend or like the emergency contact in your phone on your, or on your medical form, all right? Weak ties are your relationships with the barista that you get your coffee from every Tuesday and Thursday morning. You might remember their name if you try, you know? We live in a world where the average person has hundreds of weak ties and very few strong ties, and we mislabel them in our heads, like me. We're easily connected with everyone while simultaneously in community 
with Noah. They don't know how you treat your kids. I, I, you can DM a hundred weak ties during this teaching, I'm sure. But Sherry Turkle, she, she wrote a book called uh, Alone Together, and she says, communities are constituted by physical proximity, shared concerns, real consequences, and common responsibilities. It's people you, cliche alert, do life with, it's true. Uh, it's, it's people who see you on the good days and bad days, who don't see the filtered, always makeup on, never sad version of you. You and I need people who are so close to my life that they know firsthand what a jerk I really am to my wife. I need that. I've needed that. Uh, still need that. There's, uh, so nothing against casual friends, by the way. We need that too. We need like different spheres in order to be fully healthy people. But the problem is we, we, we mistake it in our digital age and we think that the, that the more unfamiliar sphere is some kind of context of transformation. It's not. Um, and then number five, community walks hand in hand with commitment. They support each other. Community and commitment cannot walk hand in, they can't walk at all unless they're hand in hand. We tend to approach relationships with a selfish logic, like is this, hmm, is this my kind of people? Yeah. You go on the Park Hill community website page, parkhillsd.church, you go to about community, you see all the groups that are open, you're like, I wonder if these are my kind of people. Um, and, and part of that is natural, right? But it's also another way of saying, what's, what's in it for me? How will this group make me look or feel? Um, we live in a world of options, so we hold out. What if there's somebody better? What if there's a group that's cooler? <laughs> or, 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 or this is kind of cool, but what if there's a better one? I don't have all my options yet. Uh, so we're such a keep our options open culture where commitment is like a last resort. It's like, ah, don't make me commit. And this is our cultural mindset. It's a phobia of commitment. And so we keep as much at possible at arm's length. But the reality is you cannot, we cannot experience the community we long for without commitment. Without, without a stated goal of staying around. This is why marriage matters. This is why covenant matters. If we want community that's safe and open and honest, then we have to commit to a group of people that is not your ideal or mine. It isn't perfect and has issues. And we just have to say this, hey, I'm in this with you. Eye to eye, I'm in this with you. Uh, this means commitment to people, but it also means commitment to a place, right? Like I'm, we live in normal heights. I feel a sense of calling there. My wife and I always talk about how we feel a sense of obligation to bring our neighbors into our social lives constantly. And, and yeah, commitment to a place, it cuts against the grain of SoCal culture. Me over we, right? I mean, this sense of placelessness is kind of actually built into San Diego's landscape. It's in the roots of our city. Whether military or school or career options, people move into the city, but they don't really settle. They live in an apartment, rent to lease, lease to lease, move every six or 12 months, work a great job, enjoy the city, consume, eat and drink your way through the city for a while and move on in San Diego. And, and if that's you, if you're like on a six-month whistle-stop tour, welcome. That's, I'm not guilting you. Um, I, I, I know lots of you are here for Navy, 
UCSD, SDSU, Point Loma Naz, all of that's great. There's maybe not a long-term vision. You're not like, oh, Jesus's voice has oriented me for the long haul in Point Loma or whatever. That's okay. Community will obviously look different in different phases of life, but let, can I speak now as your friendly neighborhood pastor? Let me take a moment to call you to pray about a commitment to San Diego, to a place, a divine calling to place through a Park Hill community for twice as long as you think. That was one response, that's good. (laughs) Twice as long as you think. And I've said this before and some of the feedback was great. There's folks here because of this call two years ago. In other words, if, you, if you're only thinking a 12-month MA program, a quick thing in UCSD, then maybe commit to two years in a Park Hill community. Or maybe a, a, a two-year nursing thing, maybe commit to four years in a Park Hill community. See what I'm saying? Um, so I'm feeling the tension right now. The gasps of commitment phobia are rising. I see that. Uh, but I'm serious. This, if you're called here, the point is be here and be all in. Again, Dan Braga is gonna be giving this same teaching over at Neighbors Church. We helped them plant Neighbors in 2018. And remember what we did, we invited people, is God calling you to Neighbors Church? If, if you're not giving, serving, and committed to community here, maybe, maybe that's part of God's calling on your life elsewhere, and maybe it's Neighbors. We did that, and guess what? People went, and they committed, and it was beautiful, and, and they're all in. And I wanna say the same thing again here, but toward Park Hill, if God has called you to follow Jesus in this church, then follow Jesus in this church. Be all in and give and serve and commit to giving out of your gifts in uh, a community that's at first awkward, but ends up being a place where you're needed. Uh, This is what it means to be here. Otherwise, what what are you doing? Like, what are you waiting for? Like, What's going on? There, there's, there's something rooted about rootedness that's central to the way of Jesus. It's what St. Benedict called stability, right? 1,500 years ago, one of the first and most famous monks of church history, he founded a monastery, and now there's a whole movement of Benedictine monks, and St. Benedict called stability, the practice of stability, he called it the spiritual skill of staying put to get somewhere. What could be more essential after such a transient, detached season as COVID? What could be more essential than that right now? Uh, The Benedictine monks for over a thousand years have been swearing to this vow. I'm gonna read the vow. I'm not saying it's Park Hill Church's new vow on our website or anything, but maybe, you know what I mean? So it goes, we vow Next, yeah, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there's no escape from oneself. And the idea that things could be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, 
giving up one's preferences, forgiving. Again, that's not our new membership statement at Park Hill that you have to sign on a dotted line and whatever. But that's the spirit that we're going for. That's the spirit. I invite all of you, I believe the spirit wants to form us in this way. I invite all of you to prepare your hearts. What would it look like for you to live rooted, committed, giving, serving, offering your gifts for the benefit of the church with your community? And finally, number six, the last one, this takes time and intentionality. We've been doing communities for over three years, you guys. I remember when we first rolled them out, there, there was like nothing to them. It was like, just quick. The church was kind of growing really fast at first. We're like, quick, get in each other's houses and eat. That's it. That's the whole rule. And, and we slowly started building it out. And we're hearing now how incredible stories that God, has, that God has written in communities over a very difficult time. I remember over COVID, multiple teenagers came to Christ in this one community. Just a fruitful, evangelistic uh, community, so many stories. Uh, but the first few weeks are awkward. If you've ever tried to get into a community and failed the first time, you're very much not alone. It is awkward at first. Hang tight, be patient, give it time. And the fruit is beautiful. You'll actually experience transformation <laughs> through community. It, that takes time. Uh, it takes time to get to know somebody from scratch, and it doesn't just happen. Um, so, that is, that is the talk, that's it. And, and we are, we're gonna move now into a time of prayer because I believe, I believe that there was a word in this teaching for many and it's around praying for healing from relational wounds. We're gonna have a time of prayer that will last five minutes or, or so and then we're gonna come to the table, eat and drink the bread and body of Jesus and, and, then, and then we're gonna open up the waters of baptism. So here's how it's gonna go down. That was a lot of information, but can we, can we zero in on that one piece? In order to be healed from relational wounds, we need to follow the Spirit into vulnerable relationship again. But some of you are like, I don't even know where to start with that. Start by asking for God's help. We're gonna have a time of prayer and song. And uh, to that end, I'm actually gonna invite the community leaders, our trusted community leaders. If you're here in the room, come on up. We're gonna, just give it up for some of them, yeah. That's, you guys are leading so well. Yeah. These, these folks, you guys, they lead in their homes, they open up their dinner tables, they, they've cooked, I don't know how many meals by now. Um, they've went grocery shopping and for themselves and for others and <laughs> pooled resources to provide, uh, yeah, sustenance in times of lack for all kinds of folks. Yeah, guys. So we're, we're going to pray a blessing on them. And then whoever can that's up here, feel free to just kind of move toward the wall when we're done. And they're going to pray. They're going to be available to pray for you. Uh, whoever can stay up here, uh, they're, they're gonna be able to pray for any like relational healing. Just say, I, I'd love Jesus to heal me. And, and they're gonna be available as the prayer team for today. But first, can we pray for them? Uh, as they lead into the fall, can we lift up a hand and stretch it out and just pray blessing and favor and patience and inspiration? Holy Spirit, would you come now? We've talked about relationship and community. Now we're looking at the people who are sacrificing their time to provide spiritual direction and hospitality for this church. 
thank you, Lord, for them. Just feel free for like 15, 20 seconds to pray out loud wherever you are. Pray for them by name. Pray for their families. Pray for if they have kids. Pray the Holy Spirit would cover their homes in protection. Thank you for these leaders. Thank you for their gifts. Yeah, hallelujah for their gifts. The gift that they are and the gifts that they bring. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? May they sense kind of a reset and recommissioning in this moment of acknowledgement. Thank you for their, uh, <laughs> their resilience. I pray that you'd reward them richly in many ways. In Jesus' name, amen.